This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by the Reformed African American Network. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of the Reformed African American Network, Jamar Tisby. Jamar, what's good, brother? Hey, man. Just trying to make it through, survive these survive these classes and, and do what I do. Um, but I will say I just got back from my first uh, academic historians conference is called the Conference on Faith and History. And we... Yeah, sounds incredibly exciting. <laughs> <laughs> brings together two of my great loves. I was thrilled. It was a great, great introduction to the guild um, and to the field. But yeah, I was part of a panel um, on Southern Presbyterians and race. So presented a paper there along with three others. And it was a diverse panel, man. You think hmm. Southern Presbyterians, nothing but white males. We had uh, two ladies with us. We had two African-Americans. And uh, it, was, it was extremely diverse for that setting. So I was pumped to be a part of it. Now, when you say you presented a paper, for those of us who, who are not familiar with the academic conference world, <laughs> when you say you presented a paper, what does that mean? That you actually gave a lecture and who's listening to you as, you, as you're giving this paper? So it works probably like many other conferences people have been to in that there are a few plenaries. And so these are the big names, quote unquote, nobody, <laughs> most people listening would, would never have heard of these folks, but you know, they're, they're well known in, in their field. And so they give big group talks where the whole conference attends. And then there's a bunch of breakout sessions, but those breakout sections are either individuals who have written something and, um, talk about what they've written, or it's a panel of people who have written something. So in our case, we had a panel of three people. We each had written a paper and basically read that paper for about 15 minutes. And then there were um, people who gave, who had received the papers ahead of time who were also part of the panel, and they gave feedback and comments. Okay. Then we opened it up for discussion. So Okay. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. That's, that doesn't sound too... Uh... Doesn't sound too dry. Look, you y'all would love fresh, it. Y'all yeah. would love it. Anybody who likes intellectual stimulation, it's a good time. And everybody at Pastor Mike loves intellectual everybody, stimulation. Everybody, I know that's right. <laughs> Listen, we are so thankful that you guys have been reaching out to us, giving us positive feedback, and also giving us feedback on social media. Thank you guys so much. I just want to shout out a few people who we've had recently who have given us some love, given us some love on, on uh, some of our recent episodes. Uh, Mike Holmes, shout out to you on Twitter for giving us a shout out for the Michael Weir interview. Also, Jeremy Doan as well. Uh, my good friend Drew Dixon, uh, Adam Starr, Akemini Uwan, of course. Um, you guys were talking about our Luke Cage um, a review and analysis, which Jamar wasn't able to be on, which um, we might need to do a whole nother one when we bring on a special guest that yes. will we'll remain nameless for now. <laughs> but um, 
We working. We scheming coming in the background. Soon. Coming soon. Coming soon. Coming soon. But we just want to encourage you guys. It really helps us if you give us feedback, even some things that you would like to see us change. Listen, we have heard there were a couple of people who said, hey, we want to see some more um, women of color on on the uh, on the podcast. Yes. So trust and believe we are working towards that. Yes. That is going to change soon in some pretty big ways that we're not going to let the cat out the bag yet. But be on the lookout for that. Continue to pray for us as we as we plan that the Lord is pleased with everything that we're doing there. But we also want you guys to give us uh, reviews on iTunes. That really helps us out. If you're able to go on iTunes, give us five stars, put a review down there. We'll read your review live on the podcast. Also, we want you to go and download the Satchel Podcast Player app as well. That is a big help to us, big help to our team. It's the only way to listen to podcasts. Correct, Jamar? It's the only way. It's the only way. And you can donate directly to the podcast in increments as small as a dollar just by a few taps on your phone. So if you appreciate Pass the Mic, if you appreciate what we're doing, this stuff ain't free, y'all. Um, please, please consider supporting us. <laughs> it's not free. Us. It's not free. <laughs> Satchel Podcast. <laughs> We're going to be like Bernie Sanders. You know? <laughs> we had such and such donors of this minute, much money. I like so Jamar. <laughs> hey, man, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, Jamar, um, not only were you up there for a an academic conference, but I just want y'all to know Jamar Tisby, this brave, courageous, <laughs> brother, Went to a Trump rally. Now, some of y'all going to automatically turn off the podcast, unsubscribe. <laughs> wait but, for but it. Just wait know for he's it. not. <laughs> <laughs> wait for the punchline, the twist, plot twist. But Jamar was there for, as he says, research. Uh, we were talking to Jamar said, we need you to make it out alive. Uh, we need you to make it out without incident. Yes. For the reformed African-American network culture, for the culture. <laughs> so tell us about this. Because you tweeted out, if you, if you don't follow Jamar on Tisby, uh, Jamar Tisby on Twitter, you should, you should follow him because you tweeted out some of the paraphernalia and Man. the... Um, Man, colorful apparel <sighs> that was on sale at the Trump rally. Tell us a little bit about your experience, okay, brother, because okay. I can't even imagine ever stepping foot. <sighs> All right, in, so let me just set the context, right? We were on campus at Regent University, which is in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and the Trump rally was taking place on the campus, on the university campus. So it's literally steps away from this conference I was attending. And I didn't know. And this. so for people who don't know, for people who don't know, Regent is, is that a Christian college? Is that a college of faith? <laughs> it, it, it is a Christian college. And, okay, I just, uh, okay, I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> just to clarify. Um, so, so. Yeah, I was I was on campus. I had no idea this was going to take place until I arrived, and they basically booted us out of our venue. They said, there's going to be a whole bunch of people here, uh, even though this conference has been planned for a year, y'all got to move. So as we were making those adjustments, that's when um, I figured out that was happening. So 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 it, it happened on a Saturday, and the conference ended. So we were all done, and that's when the rally was taking place. So I'm like, well, hey, let me let, let me go out there and check it out. Now, I brought a white guy with me. Um, okay, <laughs> big shout now, out to Bobby not- Griffith. <laughs> oh, Bobby. Yeah. yeah. Bobby's a friend of the friend show. Of the show. Oh, good friend. Okay. Show. He presented. I didn't know. See, I didn't know you went with Bobby. Yeah, I wouldn't, okay. I wouldn't go okay. alone now. Come on now. I'm, I'm old enough. <laughs> I'm crazy, but see, not that crazy. 
See, look, y'all don't know. Y'all didn't see our group text behind the scenes. Bo and I were looking at Jamar like, "What are you doing?" I was, I was What's going on. I was so touched by all the concerns, <laughs> but uh, but it was sort of anticlimactic, right? Like, I they by the time we got there, it had already started, and they weren't actually letting people into the main area. It was outside, but they weren't letting people into the main area where um, the stage was and most of the crowd was. So I was, you know. 300 yards away behind Good. this barrier. Safe distance, my brother. <laughs> yeah, distance. I wasn't mad at that. I wasn't mad at that. Um, nevertheless, it was it was close enough where I could hear his voice and I could see him in the distance. So that was kind of surreal. I mean, on one level, just a, a public figure like that who everybody knows and, and kind of being in that physical presence. But then it's Donald Trump. And, and <laughs> right. you know, yes, very much so. Uh, it was an experience, man. Um, here's the thing. I really think they were play- paying black folk to be there and sell swag because like every other vendor selling T-shirts, hats, flags, signs, whatever, was a black person. And I hmm. I stopped and I talked to a couple of them and I asked them. Okay, now I got to hear this. <laughs> Come on, brother. Come with this. Listen, man. I asked them point blank are you Republican and are you voting Trump? And they said, yes. And I said, why? And they said, uh, Hillary does nothing but lie. Donald Trump gets a bad rap. We've always had the same thing. We're going to try something different. And so I'm not about to get into an argument or anything right there, but I was just like, huh, okay. But every single black person who I talked to was selling, literally selling something. So I don't know anything for sure. It just was strange. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah, that's definitely, especially if they're at the rally. I mean, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to convince them otherwise at the rally. Um, But that's very interesting. And especially the intersection of this happening at a Christian university and this, you know, people speaking at Christian institutions and Having come from a lot of Christian institutions in my academic past, that intersection is always very interesting. And I've seen both Democratic and Republican candidates on both sides, whether Senate or representatives, gubernatorial representatives for presidential candidates come and speak. And that's been interesting to see the responses and to see the atmosphere and to see what people find as naturally strange. Well, and this was, for example, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, this was even different, right? Because this wasn't like a candidate addressing students and speaking about his or her platform. This was a rally. So it wasn't even (laughs) necessarily meant for students. So it was it was a stump speech as opposed to sort of, you know, broad minded. Let's have each of the candidates from different parties and invite them and just hear everybody's views. This was a Trump rally. Wow. And that's a very interesting juxtaposition. Very interesting that you were able to talk to some fellow black Americans who can <laughs> share their perspective and hey, opinions are opinions. And I know he's he's not getting very much, but he's getting a few. I've seen yeah, some on yeah. on, uh, on network news and other places that are supporting him. So they're out there. That's right. I'll tell you one, one more thing about it. Um, not only did I sort of spectate at that rally, on the plane back, I sat next to two Trump supporters who had been at the rally and in front of a Republican National Convention delegate 
who had been to several Trump rallies and was this really vocal supporter. And I say that because he talked about Trump almost the whole plane ride. And I was just eavesdropping. I didn't engage, but it was incredible, man. Um, just such a different perspective. And yet, yet, so if I had read the words he said, just like on a screen or in a blog post, I'd have been like, man, I so disagree. Mm. And I can't even, I can't even start down this road of, of trying to engage you. But being in literally the physical vicinity of human beings, even though they were saying things I vehemently disagreed with, I couldn't really, I couldn't be mad. I couldn't be, I couldn't be dismissive in the same way as, as hmm. maybe online or over the TV That's or something like that. So it really humanized how, it. How were you perceived in both at the rally and in those, you know, as you observed those conversations, was anyone looking at you in a certain <laughs> way? Were they, were they responding to you? Were they noticing you? Were they kind of eyeing you? What was, what was going on there? You know, I, I sort of pursued personally a policy of non-engagement. <laughs> I wasn't trying to get on anybody's radar. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I got some looks, but you're never quite sure. And, um, it was just tense, though. I can say that. It was extremely tense. I mean, you should never go, in my opinion, to uh, a presidential rally, a presidential candidate's rally, and have concerns about your physical safety. And I legitimately was hmm. concerned that if I said the wrong thing or if I was actually in the mix, that that would actually be a danger. That's It did feel like wow. that. So it was very tense in, in a way that politics in a democracy should never feel like right. like there's physical violence uh, at stake. Or that there's such tension that if anything were to break out, you would feel unsafe. Yeah. Or if one person were to push another person or say something to another person, that the entire, it's like a powder keg that could erupt. Big you time. know, that's, that's definitely something that is very uncomfortable. Hmm. Well, Jamar, you live to tell about it, brother. I'm, I'm glad. Without incident, you are still here, my brother. In the great words of, of Morpheus in, in the third matrix, we are still here. <laughs> you you made it to the third matrix. So I, the, you have patience, my brother. Uh, we on the first one. We deleted the other two. I huh? hear you. <laughs> hey, hey, you, 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 you made the right choice. <laughs> what else? So we... Yeah, so we have um, just something else that we wanted to talk about. Some actually two other things that are really kind of capturing one on a micro level the Christian community, and then on a macro level the American community. And they're both works of art. And the first one is an album that was done, produced, was put out there by one of the friends of of the show, was Show Baraka, and no pun intended. <laughs> nice. <laughs> hey, I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. I don't know what to do. Uh, but Show Baraka, who's been on the show, we've interviewed him. He's one of uh, my personal favorite artists. And he's also the founder, co-founder of the And Campaign, um, which it was started to both merge Christians' uh, policy towards social justice and also um, social issues uh, um, from a values and ethics perspective. And a lot of people we know have joined uh, that movement and been a part of it and show's gotten a lot of uh, national attention but show is first known as a rapper he's first known as an artist and it it, it was very interesting because it's been over three years since he's put out an, an album he's put out a project 
And the narrative, as it's called, is something that I didn't really know what to expect from it. I didn't know you were talking about it. You had mentioned it. And obviously following him and and seeing some of the initial videos, I was intrigued by the concept and I was intrigued by the idea, intrigued by what I was hearing, but I didn't know what it would really sound like. And the date kind of sneaked up on us. They sprung it on us here a couple of weeks before it was releasing. And man, I was blown away. I'm blown away by the album. It is a 14 track album with lots of range, lots of history, lots of opinions, a lot of musical uh, versatility, great rapping, um, but also some controversial statements, some controversial inclusions. So I've had the chance <laughs> to listen to it about three or four times since it's come out, and, and I'm enjoying certain parts very much. There are other parts that even in his lengthy interview that he did on his site, Fourth District, which I'd encourage people to go listen to if they've heard the album as just kind of some backdrop to it. I am still curious about some of the statements he made, still curious about some of the policy, um, just some of the things he threw out there. And, uh, in, in, you know, you, you just kind of want to okay, see. Like, you don't what, wanna... like what? <laughs> Well, no, I want to get your thoughts on the album first. You just you just I'm hanging the bait out there for us. You just hanging the bait out there. I'm choosing my words carefully. No, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you I'm run with let this you one. fall into that. <laughs> you you're the hip hop well, head. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's very interesting because Christian hip hop in particular, which as a term has gone through a number of shifts, Christian hip hop in particular is very it's maturing and it's very hard to define. And so what we're doing now is, you know, with artists like Lecrae and, and many others from Shylin who do more um, lyrical theology to uh, Show Baraka who does more social commentary and the Humble Beast guys where Show Baraka is a member and an artist. We're doing a lot of different things with Christian hip hop and art that would have never been thought of 5, 10, 15 years ago when we had just cross movement or when we had just grits or when we had just a number of other old school rap. Which uh, is no acts. shade to them at all. Not at all. No, no. it's definitely just been an, an evolution. And, you know, some would say for good, some would say for bad. But I was most struck by this idea. And it's the premise that I think we're getting that's becoming in vogue in our circles. And it's this third way premise. And I think the third way premise in our previous uh, episode, we talked to Michael Ware of Public Faith. He and others like show are promoting this, this kind of third way idea, which is we don't want to be pigeonholed in one side or another. We don't want to be too partisan, but that life is so complex that there's probably a third way to approach it from the partisan poles of the extremes. And it's very interesting when you get down into statements. So I'll say just in the in the last song of the album, show talks a lot about policies and a lot about spiritual positions and ethical positions from abortion to welfare uh, to a number of different things to police brutality to needing the police. And it's interesting. And so for me, I'm always trying to process the natural outflowing of what it's like to really live a third way, quote unquote, approach to life, which would say life is very complex. 
And sometimes I question the feasibility of this in real life. And it sounds great on wax. How does this play itself out in real life? And the reality is it, it that means it's a great album. That means it's great art because it's personally challenging me. It's giving me something to wrestle with. So that was one of the things that I was like, hmm, this, this third way thing is really popular. It's really in vogue. And what does this mean in life? What does this mean for the Christian? What does this mean for the black Christian as we move forward? Is it the veneer of balance or is it truly living in the tension of the already and not yet, the kingdom of God in the world, but not of it? All those things are kind of flowing through my mind as I listen to this album. So that was kind of my background initially. And thank you for just throwing me out there um, and <laughs> letting me just think. No, it was good. It was good. And uh, for those who don't know, Tyler is a hip hop head. He has done lots of commentary and analysis on many different albums. I don't know if I'm albums, a hip hop so. head. Like, I don't want to claim that. And then you people are asking it? me about, <laughs> okay, it's fine. It's you fine. Go- <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of like a hip hop head. I like hip hop. That's all I'll say. You dabble. You dabble. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, dabble a little classical, a little country, a little pop rock, you know. Well, so so your analysis is is way better than mine because I've been listening to it on the go and maybe only like two and a half times so far. But what I will say from a macro level perspective is, number one, uh, you bring up a great point. And I think about in terms of the third way deal, it's 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 the constant tension between principle and pragmatism. Uh, so right. especially as Christians, we, we have an ideal. We have a standard which is given to us in the Bible. And what we have is a, is a vision of how the world should be. Um, at the same time, we live in the real world. And I don't mean to set up the, the Bible as um, something that, that cannot be lived out in the real world. It absolutely can be. Uh, but as as believers... We're looking forward to a perfect world, and we we want right. to live and act, um, you know, in in concert and in in harmony with the way things should be. But at the same time, we live in a fallen world, and so how do you live out your 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 beliefs faithfully in the midst of a broken world where um, it's not, it's not always going to work? So the so the election is a, just a perfect example, right? So we have two candidates for whom many, for many people, uh, neither one is desirable. And, and this is the perfect example of principled or pragmatic. A lot of people are voting either for the Republican, Republican candidate or the Democratic candidate for basically pragmatic purposes. They say we have two really viable candidates who could actually end up president. Um, and, you know, one's going to be at least marginally better than the other, or the other would be simply intolerable. And then you have folks who say, okay, well, no, both are bad, so either I'm not going to vote or I'm going to vote for someone who statistically really has no chance of winning. So how do you live out? You know, At the end of the day, we're going to have another president. (laughs) So that's the the real-world pragmatic reality. But at the same time, Hmm. you know, what do we do? with the, the the agency and the action that we can take. Um, so I don't have right. an answer, but that you're right. It's a great album because it brings that up. And just from the macro mm-hmm. level on a, on a second point, it's really, really engaging because 
it's taking on real issues. It's not, you know, um, you know, rappers who are Christian or Christian rappers, they're always trying to, to say something meaningful. Uh, they're, right. they're not just talking mm-hmm. about That's debauchery or something. True. So, but this is one of, this is a really helpful album for this important time of heightened racial tension, increased awareness of justice issues, because what Show does is he takes a very historical perspective. He looks at policies and stances. And so from that perspective, it's music with a message, which is, which is just always good to listen to. Yeah, and I think Show's always been, what I, what I enjoy about him is he's always been comfortably complicated. He's always been very comfortable <laughs> like being that. complex. Yeah, comfortable. He's just very comfortable with that. So he acknowledges that and he embraces that. He doesn't run from that and he doesn't accidentally portray that. He says, yes, I am complex. He says in one of his songs, I think it was Kanye, the song Kanye on the album. He says, uh, you know, I may change my mind next week. You know, I, I'm, I'm complicated. I, I, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. And I think that that embrace is very freeing. And he's also very intersectional. So he's not going to deny his Christianity. But just when he it, he plays with, man, he he does something very interesting throughout the album. He plays with the pendulums. He plays with the extremes. So just when you think, man, a show really... Like this is just like really a conservative perspective. He swings to the other side, right? Like it's it, it's so deft and it's so artistic that it causes tension on the inside of you. But overall, what you see is this unflinching look at the history of blackness, the narrative, yeah. right? Which immediately drew to to my mind, you know, the narrative of of Frederick Douglass. You know, that immediately just drew it out to me. He even says in the in the in the album that he's Frederick Douglass with a fade, mm. you know, I loved those little inf- instances and and show intentionally is doing this to drive conversation, but not just that he's conveying authentically who he is as not just a black man, but then the most important element of intersectionality is his Christianity, which overarches it all, which he clearly says from beginning to end is who he is number one. I am a Christian, but yet in the same way, I cannot deny my blackness. So all these things working, he just kind of throws them into a pot. And because he's very skilled in artistry, it comes out smelling good. It comes out with some tension. It comes out making us force, you know, a conversation and work through some things. And how many albums are really doing that today from a Christian lens that Christians can access and not just amen. Because I think a lot of albums we listen to in Christianity, we can just easily amen mm, them. Good point. And that's like, okay, well, well, that's that. There's a place for that. There's a place for just the exaltation. We're not singing praise and worship songs that are ambiguous. You wow. Know, hopefully, you know, we're not singing worship songs that are like, well, I don't know what this says about God. But we want it to be clear because the worship is in the truth and the clarity about who God is. And who we are in light of that. But then there's sometimes where there's a place for a wrestle. And there's a place for the art that kind of reflects the angst of the times. And so for that reason, I think this album was particularly timely. And Show is having an excellent 2016. So <laughs> shout out to Show Baraka. We're glad we were able to get you on the podcast before, before he before got he signed. Got super, super big. <laughs> 
before he got big. So remember us here at Pastor he already, Mike. But yeah, you yeah. guys. Go he was ahead. already big before he got super big. Now, now the brothers on NPR and whatnot. You know, we, we, you know. Listen, man. Listen, <laughs> listen. So, That's so they crazy. should listen to the album. Absolutely. Go get the narrative. It's on all the iTunes, Amazon, everything. It's also available on Humble Beast uh, Records as well, their website. And they give everything free. So it's freely given, but you should go purchase it to uh, support the brother. Absolutely do that. Okay, now on a macro perspective, outside of the Christian community, there's been something that seeped into the Christian community. It seems like everybody's talking about it. It is a Netflix documentary called 13th. And it was directed and produced and written and the whole project was spearheaded by Ava DuVernay who was the director of the movie Selma um and so the 13th documents the the change from slave to criminal how the 13th amendment played with the idea of someone who is a slave now being freed but what are they freed to are they truly free and so it documents mass incarceration and overcriminalization and all these other intersecting uh, labels, which we can get into. Um, but have you seen the 13th, Jamal? I have. I, I watched it the day after it came out. I had to. So I've seen it twice. Um, I, I watched it by myself, and then my wife and I, we watched it. And, okay, let's just deal with style. On a style level, it's an incredible documentary. It man. is. It's uh, it's incredibly compelling. Someone said, I think they're right, it grabs you from the beginning, doesn't let you go. It was very, from the start, no build-up, no runway. It just grabbed you from the start. And then it wouldn't let you go. It was just interview after interview, new statistic after new statistic. What did you think about it from a stylistic perspective? They had, one of the biggest strengths of the film is they assembled real, real experts. I mean, folks who knew what they were talking about. And they had the camera set up. It was a very simple um, uh, setup so that it wasn't distracting. And yet um, the setting was poignant and powerful. It was just traditionally just people sitting in front of the camera in, in kind of big open rooms and whatnot so that the focus was on the speaker and the words. And that was appropriate because of the, the weightiness of the topic where you had to feel what these people were saying, but then it was interspersed with clips of, um, you know, marches going on. Uh, the the most kind of jarring scenes were the clips uh, that they showed of prisons, and 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 they weren't even all just like uprisings happening in prisons. It was kind of everyday life scenes in prison that 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 freeze your insides because you're like, how are we as a society? Um, okay with treating human beings this way. So yeah, it, it, it won't, nobody will be bored in it, whether you agree or disagree with the premise, nobody will be bored. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's why people are drawing so much attention to it is because it's well-made. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a very well-made documentary. It's excellent in keeping your attention. And I feel like they packed in even more than I could have ever imagined them packing in in an hour and a half. Now, I think that in some ways was a strength, in some ways was its right. weakness, but when we're talking about the range of interviews as well, the range of people that they were able to get on this particular documentary, giving their opinion, like you said, it's scholars. And I personally appreciate it from a stylistic perspective. The most powerful thing were the individual stories. And when they told individual stories, particularly the one of Khalif Browder, yep. 
that was incredibly powerful. And if you don't know about Khalif Browder, um, just Google him, watch the 13th on Netflix, and then you'll get kind of a primer into his story, which is a very tragic story, which even after the 13th has come out, there's been more that's happened uh, with his mother's death and and other things related to that. It's a heartbreaking story, and it's a heartbreaking example of how the criminal justice system is broken and is flawed and needs to be fixed. So uh, here, so the 13th Amendment, I don't know if we said this before, but the 13th Amendment was part of um, you know, a slate of laws passed during Reconstruction, I believe, and it says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So in other words, the 13th Amendment is saying it's outlawing slavery. It's outlawing involuntary servitude, which is a massive development in the history of the United States. And yet there's this, this, this clause inserted right in the middle there, except, except as punishment for a crime. And so what the 13th is conveying is that this is slavery by another name that the system of slavery and the racial caste system uh, that we can think of Jim Crow, that never went away. It just, we just made these people, um, instead of calling them slaves, we call them uh, prisoners. And it makes an extremely compelling case because it goes all the way back to emancipation and shows how things like... um, Vagrancy laws, the convict lease system, um, lots of different legislative and policy actions to basically control black bodies. And we need to put it that bluntly because that's what has always been the ambition of a certain segment of Americans is to control black bodies first through slavery and involuntary servitude and now through imprisonment in the criminal justice system where not only do you control people while they're 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 behind bars but once they get out they've lost all kinds of rights that normal citizens should have even though they've already served their time and paid their debt to society so we perpetuate the system of uh second class citizens and it's particularly relevant because in from emancipation to now even in the slavery days the church has always been, Man. unfortunately, complicit yes. in this. So the church has either been silent in a majority context. There have always been Christians who have been on the front lines of abolition, who have been on the front lines of fighting things like Jim Crow, um, who have been on the front lines of fighting things like mass incarceration. But what we're seeing is that the majority of the American church is unaware or just unconcerned with these realities. It's so distant from them. And so I think 13th is particularly relevant because of that fact, because Christians in particular need to see that stark contrast and juxtaposition of like what she put at the end, that quote from Donald Trump, the good old days, and that little montage clip of putting those, those scenes from the 60s and from 2016 all, you know, juxtaposed together, which is incredibly powerful and incredibly heartbreaking yeah. as well, because many of the people who would be supporting someone like Donald Trump and would be supporting on a broader level, because it's not really just Donald Trump that we're fighting no, here. It's, it's, it's the policies behind him. And the film, as for those who are wondering, is not flattering for either candidate. Nope. 
Uh, it is very unflattering portrayal of both <laughs> Equally candidates. critical, yes. Very, actually even more critical probably towards, I'd say probably towards Hillary Clinton because it spends more time specifically critiquing her and Bill Clinton, her husband, uh, the former president of our country, in very, I was shocked at how sharp the critique was. Yeah. And very, very intense critique of them. So they didn't look good either. But I think when we're talking about our, our heartbreak, it revolves around this idea of supporting candidates who would boldly, or a candidate who will boldly say, I am the law and order candidate. And we are unaware and blind to that whistle. Yeah. We're blind so, or deaf to that whistle, right? And that and that's and that's the real, I think, lasting value of the film is I I I, I probably mentioned Divided by Faith every single podcast. <laughs> but I mention it because I sold a lot of them books, brother. You sold I, a lot and of I ain't divided by faith. royalty. I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> um, but the point is one of the great things they bring out in the book is that, by and large, white evangelicals tend to view racial issues in interpersonal and individual terms, whereas African Americans and other minorities see systemic and institutional issues. And it's not either or, it's both and. But one of the most difficult mm. things um, to convey to my white brothers and sisters is that the things that we're seeing on the news and in society and with Black Lives Matter and all these different uh, organizations, they're responding to systemic and institutional issues so that it's never about the isolated incident that may occur on a specific date between specific people. Those incidents and occurrences are part of a broader system that is perpetuating these kinds of events. So the movie The 13th, traces from the days of slavery up to the present day how these systems have adapted and changed but they still have the same ultimate effect which is to produce a yeah. second class citizenry which is primarily concerned with controlling black and brown populations rather than liberating them in so many senses of the word so if people are struggling with that concept this is a powerful poignant film to do that um, that's, that yeah. said, I have one critique, but, but you say your piece first. Okay. Yeah. So I was getting ready to get into that. Now we talk about style. Now let's get into okay. substance. Now there's a lot of substance in the style, but this is a primer. This is 90 minutes of covering this issue. It should not be taken as an exhaustive study. And I think some of the ways in which things were portrayed actually detract from the overall mission, particularly the omission of black women mm. as being very prominent sufferers of mass incarceration, quote unquote. I'm finding that mass incarceration is really, a, it's a term like racism that you can't necessarily define easily. It's a slippery term to define. And I'm learning that when we talk about mass incarceration, people have varying opinions about what promoted it, how we got to the place we're in, and how to get out. So I think there's a lot of difference and a lot of range that wasn't covered within the documentary that, uh, that to me, I think some people can say, 
oh, okay, I watched the third team, so I know everything I need to know. That's yeah. definitely not the don't case. Stop. There's don't a stop. whole lot more to dig into. Please don't stop there. There are a lot more resources, even from the people who are listed and interviewed and from the people who weren't, that should be considered and should be wrestled with. So I would say on an overarching level, I'd plead with people, take this as a primer, take this as an introduction, and it's a powerful one. It's one of the most powerful documentaries, I think, that I've ever seen. But I also recognize that there's much more. We're not criminologists, and there's much more to be considered than even what the film goes into. Right. And just from a historical perspective, um, it can be a little misleading to approach this strictly from uh, kind of a top-down perspective where they're talking about massive corporations, they're talking about federal policy, and, and so it can almost seem like this is some massive plan or conspiracy uh, from the top <laughs> right, enacted right. upon the citizens in in the country, where of course some of that is happening. There's certainly maneuvering and, and closed door conversations that are leading to these policies, but but oftentimes legislation follows the lead of the people in the sense that there are there are everyday folks like the people I sat next to on the plane who. Are, are thinking about these things in a way they want these policies. You know, they, it comes down to right. real people at the grassroots level. Um, and so we shouldn't forget the everyday human element. Um, just one quick example. I'll give you uh, two, two um, blog posts that, that you should read in relation to this. One is an article by, they're both on the African American Intellectual Historical Society. Uh, We need to get the founders on the show, Tyler, while I think of it. Um, But they are doing excellent work from a historical perspective, examining current issues of race and race relations. The first article I recommend is by um, a historian, independent historian named Carrie Lee Merritt, Carrie Lee Merritt, and she wrote an article, One Continuous Graveyard, Emancipation and the Birth of the Professional Police Force. So she goes back right after emancipation and shows how prior to um, the 13th Amendment and the Civil War, almost no black people were in jail and very few towns even had an organized police force. And then after emancipation, all that changes. And so she shows sort of the roots of an organized police force in the U.S. The second one is on the same website. It's aaihs.org, and it is called Mass Incarceration and Its Mystification, A Review of the 13th by Dan Berger. Um, in that article, he, he talks about the fact that uh, he says in the film, they, they talk about the 1980s war on drugs, Bill Clinton's 94 crime bill, and then he says, but that puts the onus on federal prison policy when 90% of the 2.3 million people incarcerated in this country local, are in bro. state prisons local. and local jails. So, so guess what? Those are the folks right in our cities and towns, the people we've elected, making the sentencing laws and putting people in state and local prisons which brings it a lot closer to home than a federal policy. So 
I would just remind folks that, that, that this is not something abstract and far away and from the top down. This is happening on the ground level. Yeah, it's crazy because there was a kid in my uh, city, I think it's the juvenile detention facility, 16 years old, who is now drinking his food through a straw because he was uh, approached and no. beaten in prison in the juvenile detention facility. And nobody knew, nobody acted quickly to get him medical mm. care. So because nobody acted quickly, now he's his jaws wired shut, mouth wired shut. So now he's got to drink through a straw and he has all these health complications now because mm. of that. And so we're talking about being created in the image of God. How do we move based upon that? Mm. Are we attuned to that struggle? Yeah. And are we reaching out to people of influence and saying this is something that we cannot ignore that needs to be dealt with. So we're talking about staying local, man. That's that's how it is. Not just some conspiracy that's, that's far right. off. It's really right around our I mean, corner. Talk about a third way. This is this is easy in terms of morality. This is something Christians can and should get behind as a unified uh, body to say we need to treat people as humans. There's a great quote toward the end of the 13th film. It says, the opposite of criminalization is humanization. And we mm. need to mm. live that out. So I would just encourage yes. folks, on, um, get involved in your state and local governance. It doesn't mean you've got to run for office, but just know what the issues are, know what the, the problems are in the community, know who you're Alder people, aldermen, alder women are your council people. Um, they're very approachable in my experience. Get to know them, uh, yes. know their policies, and tell them where you stand uh, as a citizen and as a believer. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on Pass the Mic. We want you to, again, rate and review us on iTunes. We also want you to download the Satchel Podcast Player. You can also donate from directly from the Satchel Podcast Player to the Pass the Mic podcast and to Rand Network. Follow us on randnetwork.org. You can go to Facebook and like our Rand Network Facebook page. We also want you to join our Pass the Mic private Facebook group where there are over 1,200 people working through reconciliation and justice, cross-denominations, cross-racially. Uh, man, it's, it's cross-generationally. It's a great group, phenomenal group of people. And there are some people who have, who have made friends there that are going to be lifelong friends based upon just their interactions there as we strive towards becoming truly becoming one body in Christ. So as for Jamar Tisby, thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you soon on the next Pass the Mic. You've been listening to Pass the Mic, a Pottery production. To find out more about this and other shows, visit Pottery.com. That's P-O-D-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.